You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number two, it's The Big Show, Russick and Rose. What are you playing here, Cam? We said you can play whatever you want, but No, no, let them. (laughs) What is this? I like this. Sportsnet 960 uh, The Fan. No, Matt Rose. Uh, He's in Italy, uh, but we got an Eric Francis in all week. Like, we had Julian in last week, and he came in at 6, but I said, no, you don't have to come in at 6. I was so glad I clarified that last week when I was on with you guys. You need solid representation when you do these things. Absolutely. I have none, but the the point is you gave me an extra hour, and I appreciate it. Uh, We're we're glad to have you this week. Uh, What a blockbuster way to start your week with us um, on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest Holland. He is the general manager of the Calgary Flames. We say good morning. To Craig Conroy. Sir, how are you? Good, good. How are you doing? We're good. Um, fresh off uh, finishing up uh, first development camp as a general manager. Uh, how exciting is it to see these prospects up close and personal? Oh, I enjoyed it. You know, that's what I said. It was nice to, with all the other stuff been going on, nice to just be back in the rink and, and watching the kids. Uh, and they worked extremely hard, too. So it was good. It was, uh, it was a good couple days, two, three days. And then... Uh, you know, I'm actually going to meet and talking to some of them today right now, so it'll be good. Connie, Eric here. Uh, last time I saw you, you were you and I were sitting next to each other at a poker table uh, at Cowboys <laughs> last week. Uh, can you just talk a little bit, take people through a little bit of your poker prowess and how long you've been playing? Do you play a lot? Did you play a lot when you were a kid? Uh, or Not when you were a kid, when you were a player. Like, was that something you guys did a lot? Yeah, we, you know, all the plane trips was poker and you know, I think you, you kind of it had that boom. Remember when they had the poker boom? Yeah. We were playing, so everybody <laughs> was playing. I mean, we would go into, you know, Jerome and I would go into cities and we'd go play in, uh, you know, we'd go over to the casino every now and then in Edmonton and different places. And, uh, yeah, everybody loved playing poker. So always enjoyed it. I don't play as much anymore. And, uh, you know, I went for it and I got beat by three jacks. So I was a little, I had aces. <laughs> A flush. I had a flush draw for two chances, and I couldn't hit anything. And uh, you know, I got taken down by three jacks. He was rattled. He was rattled when he could. Was he, rattled. Yeah. Well, everybody is when they get eliminated, right? Um, Connie, well, how, how's Eric Francis as a poker player, though? He, he's good. I mean, you know, it's it's the same. He's smart. He's a little tight with his money, but uh, so I know when Eric's in, he's got halfway decent hand, but. Uh, <laughs> He just got sucked in, and there was no, uh, you know, when he, I, I saw him get knocked out too, even before me. So, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's a smart player, though. He's not just throwing money around. He's, he's playing the right way. Hey, Connie, can I ask you? You mentioned Jerome, and, and, and we have so many questions for you, but the one I wanted to bring was, you know, now that, now that you've had a development camp, you've had a draft with him, I assumed he was just going to be a guy who you could lean on on the phone from time to time, and I know that, that will be the case, but. What else, like, what has he brought to the table so far in his new role with the club? Well, I mean, we just, you know, I mean, we, when we're, we've had meetings and we're up there, we talk about how we change the culture, how we, you know, it's, it's not something you can do overnight either. Like, the way we want to build this team and the, the way we want to kind of install this culture, it takes time. I mean, I talked to Mike Vernon about it, and he said the biggest thing, Connie, is culture. He said it when he went in the, you know, to see with Detroit, he had it here, not at the beginning, but the way it got built here and then in Calgary, and then he saw it in Detroit, and he said, 
that's going to be the biggest challenge for you, but it starts with, with you guys at the top and works all the way down. So, you know, I think with Jerome coming in, we were talking about that, but for him to kind of, now he's seeing the kids. He went down. I remember we were talking, you know, to Hanzig and, and Lipinski and he just, you know, he was showing up, making points how to get shots off a little quicker when you get in the slot area for Hanzig. Uh, knee flexion for Lipinski. Like, you know, we're, we're kind of talking to players about that stuff. Like, this is if you work on this over the summer, you know, so he, he's directly involved. I mean, obviously, him coaching and him being with his kids and working with his kids, you know, with all these shooting and skills, and it's, it's a big advantage to have him here with us. I mean, you know, I mean, we, we talk about building the team. Obviously, you want size, skill, you know, we want the total package, but those players are hard to find, but how how do we do that moving forward, and what's the culture like here in Calgary? Uh, Connie, uh, how different is development camps uh, from when you were a player back in the day? <laughs> well, that's what I said. They just started doing it, and you would just come in. I would just go in for, like, uh, three days. Like, I would drive back, back and forth between Montreal and home. I would come in for the day, do it, and leave. It wasn't like <laughs> – and sometimes there was NHL players on the ice with us. I, which was awesome. It wasn't really like a development camp. It was more just like summer, summer camp. And if, if the players were there, uh, they had ice, and we, we would just go, and Claude Ruel actually ran the ice. So I loved going up there, but it wasn't like an actual development camp and organized like it is now. It was a little more thrown together, and, and then, you know, Claude Ruel would run the, run the ice session. That was about it. Wanted to ask you about uh, Oliver Shillington. You know, we've, we've spoken a lot about the, the six pending RFA or UFAs and all that, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that in a second. But I, I haven't heard a whole lot about uh, Shillington. Is he in town? Do you expect him to be in town soon? And have you talked to him about an extension too? You know what? We've just, you know, his first thing is he wants to get back here in Calgary. He hasn't been back yet, but okay. he's excited. He's looking forward to it. He's talking to the boys. He's getting going. You know, we haven't really talked about an extension. We just mostly talked about him getting him back, getting him playing. And uh, he's just excited to, to, you know, be back here in Calgary and be with the guys and kind of getting ready for the season and getting back to some normalcy. That's, that's That was his biggest thing I took away on the, on the phone calls I've had with him. Okay. Good to hear. He's such an important part. Sorry, George. I, you know, he's such an important part. And, uh, are you worried at all about him? You know, you miss a whole year of NHL hockey. And mm. He was obviously dealing with his, his issues, and that that's obviously the most important thing. But is there any doubt in your mind that this guy can pick up where he left off? You know, the one thing about Oliver, he's such a great skater. Skating is such a big part of the game now. And like everyone else, everyone's going to have this four-month break now. So is it going to take him a little bit longer? But you watch you watch players now that don't play all year and then come back and – you know, the one thing about Oliver, he has been skating. He's been skating for a month already. He's probably going to skate more and be on the ice more than most of our NHL players until August when, you know, everybody will really ramp up then. But for him to be in there doing that already, hopefully that gives him a little, you know, comfort level on the ice, playing with the guys. Uh, it, it'll just hopefully just training camp is enough to get him back caught up to speed, to be honest. Craig Conroy is the general manager of the Calgary Flames. Joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show Russick and Rose with Eric Francis. 
Sportsnet 960, the fan. Um, Connie, uh, a lot of a lot's been made about the goaltending you have heading into the season, but isn't these champagne problems for you guys in the organization that you have three capable guys you're really comfortable with? Because obviously Dustin's a guy that he's proven everything he can right now in the American Hockey League, and, and he's pushing to get onto the big club. Isn't this just good problems you guys have right now with how deep your goaltending is? Oh, it is. I mean, obviously goaltending's such a key in the league. You saw it this year. I mean, Vegas found a way using multiple, multiple goalies to get him there. So, you know, for us to have three guys that we really, really like and think they can all play any given night, I would feel comfortable putting all three guys in the net. And, and you know, the only thing with, you know, the one thing with, with Dustin is we want to make sure he plays games too. You don't want him just sitting, sitting, sitting and playing and with the luxury of him not ha- needing waivers, you know we can we can have him go down and play games if he won't. We come up if we have an injury, if we have something, if we do something with with the goalie, you know, there's all that flexibility that we have. But we feel it's probably one of our deepest uh, positions right now in the organization, which and, is which is great for us. And and I had asked you at your last press conference about is is Dustin Wolf's performance in camp going to be a huge determinant in terms of how you move forward and and just reiterate your, what your answer was there, because I think a lot of people think that you're going to go into camp with only two of these goalies. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's the thing is you have three good goalies. You don't want to just make a move to make a move one that doesn't make sense for the team. So I think, you know, if all three guys are here at training camp and you know, the one thing is I just talk about Dustin playing it's more important to play games than where you're playing the games. That's what I think. I mean, you want to stay sharp. And the, and when you talk to him, he's so focused and dialed in, he doesn't care what league he played in. You know, that's the one thing. He just wants to play and he wants to be in the net every night. So that's, that's part of the challenge. we got to make sure, you know, we manage him where he's, he's getting enough games and also we want to get him some more experience in the NHL. And it, it's a fine line. It's not easy, but – you know, we're going to, you know, with Jordan Sigalette, Jason LaBarbera, we're going we're gonna to make sure we come up with a plan that works the best for all these guys. Uh, you know, because there's only one net in the NHL per game and the same for the American League. So we got to kind of fine-tune how we're going to do this. And, and, you know, right now we're not in a rush to, to say, oh, we got to make a move with a goalie. If, if something happens, then, then we'll, we'll go from there. But to be able to have three guys I think is such a huge bonus for the, uh, the organization. Uh, Craig, have you had a chance to talk to Jacob? Because obviously last season was a down year for him. Uh, very uh, Again, the previous year, the guy was right there in the Vezina Trophy conversation. Have you had a chance to, to talk with him? And, and how excited are you for potentially a big bounce back year for Jacob Markstrom? I talked to him three days ago, and I'm very excited the way he talked to me. He is, you know what I mean, he's focused, dialed in. And, you know, every day he said, when I train, I think about this year, Connie, and we're going to, you know, it was, it was a bad year. Like we all feel it. He even said it. Hey, it's not, that's unacceptable, but the focus is he has right now and, and what he's doing to get ready for. I mean, I wish camps just talking to him. I wish camp started tomorrow because he seems dialed in and ready to go. He's, he's, uh, he's not very happy with the way the season went and that's great for great for us. What about Dylan Dubé? You know, I know we always get ahead of ourselves in our business, you know, we're, all the talk right now is about the six guys are going to be unrestricted next year. Well, Dylan Dubé is going into the final year 
uh, or sorry, you could still you could start to talk to him about the possibility of of a, of a contract extension there too. Has that started at all? Yeah, yeah, that has started. We actually, it's funny. Well, his 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 agent sat with me during the first day of development camp, so you know that that did come up, and we're gonna you know continue to move forward. He's got some ideas. I have some ideas. So hopefully, uh, you know, we we can get something done there with Dylan too, because you know what he's just one of those guys that, that you win with just every year, best shit guy in camp, you know, what he does around the city, though, as much he loves the Calgary Flames as much as anybody. So, you know, hopefully we can get something done with Dylan sooner than later. And, and we would, uh, we can't let you go without asking you about, of course, you know, the big three, mm-hmm. it, it, has anything changed? And I know you're sick of answering the questions and I think it's pretty well <laughs> documented, you know, the way you feel about Elias Lindholm and Backlund and, but I want to just know if anything's changed over the last handful of days in terms of the way they've communicated to you. Uh, you know what? I'm backing a little bit more communication, and, and Lindy, I haven't talked to, to Hannafin in a few days, so that's he's been the one I haven't spoke to, but I talked to the other two guys. So, you know, everything just, you know, like every I know everybody wants something to happen tomorrow. It's, these things just take a little time. That's, you know, that's what I said. It's not like it just happens overnight. You wish it did. It'd be nice if it did. It'd make my uh, summer a little less stressful. But, you know, you, you just want to make sure you do what's, what's right for the guys and myself. So, you know, we don't put time limits on anything. And, you know, we just continue to talk and move forward. And, you know, at some point, hopefully we can, uh, you know, get stuff done with these guys. Craig, how comfortable are you heading into the season uh, with all three guys on your roster into, into obviously the last year of their, of their deals? Well, that's like it, it, why you'd like to get, get something done. And, you know, uh, if you have to, we have to. I mean, right now, I think with free agency, what you see is people are filling holes uh, with, with guys that are free, that they can just pay, you know, for one or two years. There was a lot of short deals out there. But I do think as we move closer to the summer, the, the teams that didn't have players, there's definitely been calls back and you have more conversations. So I think there's more – Stuff going to go on from here to, to training camp for the teams that maybe didn't find players, and then you know I'll I'll find out if we're able to sign sign these guys or not, and then uh, you know I do think there'll be some more movement. But if we went into the season with all three guys, we definitely uh, you know there are three players we want on the team, and we think we can win with. So does that mean they'd be here by the end of the year? I, that would be that's a different conversation. But to, to have them there to start is is not a a huge, you know, deterrent for me. We're talking to Flames general manager Craig Conroy. Uh, I saw you out and about at Stampede, like we mentioned earlier. I uh, I was sitting at Bull Buston on Friday with uh, a bunch of alumni. You know, Lindsey Carson and uh, uh, Jamie McCowan. Stu Laird was there from the Stamps, but but right next to me was Tim Hunter. And I, I have to ask you this as a as an NHL alumnus. Is he tougher than the Cowboys that we were watching? Because I think those Cowboys are pretty much the toughest human beings alive. But then I'm sitting next to Tim Hunter, and I'm thinking, he might be the last human being on the face of the earth I would have ever messed with. Hmm. Who's tougher, Tim Hunter or a rodeo cowboy? Oh, man, that's... You know what? I'm gonna see. I'm gonna. I'm gonna see Tim Hunter way more than I'm gonna see the Cowboys. So I'm gonna go with Tim Hunter. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I would love to have him on my team. <laughs> well, now, now, Connie, I gotta ask you: who is who is the scariest guy you played against in the league? 
Bob Probert. Okay, you didn't. Bob Probert. <laughs> yeah. I remember we were in Chicago one time, and one of our defensemen, he was right in front of our bench. It was an afternoon game. And our defenseman, Ricard Pearson, he went to hit him, and he kind of cross-checked Pearson right in the face. He turned around and looked at the bench. He's like, I'm not in the mood today, boys. Ooh. And I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> Tony Twist said, let's just leave Big Proby alone today. <laughs> Don't want to mess with him. When Tony Twist gets a little nervous, you can get nervous. Yeah. Yes. Once I heard him say, yeah, let's let's just let him sleep. He went to the penalty. And it was a cross-check to the head, and it was only like a two-minute penalty back then. So I was like, oh, boy. He, and he had that look in his eye, and I felt like he was talking to me, but I know he was talking to the whole bench. I was like, yeah, let's just uh, let's just not go near him today. <laughs> One of my favorite stories that you, you've told over the years, I've heard a couple times, but I want to make sure I have it right. Uh, your was it your first meeting with Patrick Waugh when he basically attacked you? Well, my first shot in the NHL and my first minutes on the old forum, which Montreal was my favorite team, I was so jacked up. I hit him in the head with the first shot and the three three line shooting. He was on my team. He he stopped the stopped it, threw his stick over the glass when there was no netting, so he fired his stick. Then he came out and punched right in the head with the blockers. So it was a it was a tough way to start my uh, NHL career. To be honest, I thought I just wanted to get sent to the minors as quick as possible that year. <laughs> and so, so when you guys were looking for a coach, and I'm putting together my list of candidates, and I put as my wild card, just more as a joke than anything else, Patrick Waugh, because we all knew that he was going to be resigning from uh, the QMJHL. Did you ever call him during your search just to just to check in? We talked, I talked to his agent and we were kind of going, you know, I just, yeah, it was a tough one because he, he's done an amazing job mm-hmm. and he was, you know, he, he was a guy we, we talked to, you know, talked about and just kind of see where he was at and what was going on. But, uh, you know, in the end we, I had like a, in my mind, I had what, you know, type of guy we wanted and, uh. And it was just, I thought, I honestly thought he probably was going to be going to the Rangers, to be totally honest yeah, with you. Yeah, I think we all thought that, yeah. yeah. It, it felt like that was going to be the spot for him. And then uh, with him and him and Drury playing together in Colorado for so long, you know, um, and having that success. But, yeah, he was he was definitely on, on our list. Uh, I think with, with as long as the playoffs went, we end up not even – you know, and then him winning it all, which is amazing. I mean, I'm so happy for Patrick. But, yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> you know, he was the guy that was there, but we just uh, felt like we, all the other people we interviewed, we were down the road in the other direction. Isn't that interesting, right? I mean, you're, this is as, as your first year as a GM. I mean, you know that Patrick was a great NHL coach. He'd proven that in the past. You know he wants to come back to the league, and you know he's going to probably have success wherever he goes. But you also need to cater, you know, to the team you have at the time. And, and and Huska, in your mind, obviously, was clearly a better fit, even though you know for sure what Patrick Waugh brings. For sure. He'll be he'll be back in the NHL. It's only a matter of time. I mean, the success he had in, in Colorado, what he's done in, you know, in, in CHL and, you know, winning championships, uh, it's amazing what he's done. And it's just a matter of fit and timing for everybody. So you know he's going to get back in. It's just a matter of, of when and with who. Well, now I got to ask you, Connie. I asked you who the toughest guy you played against. Who's the most intense guy you played with? Oh, most intense guy I played with. Oh, there's been a lot. That's the that's the best part. There's so many. Jerome. 
Oh, Jerome's in, oh, for sure, but he's an easy one to say. That's I'm, what I figured, yeah. Like, there's some guys that are, Al McKinnis is very intense. Chris Pronger intense. Like, Prongs might be, and Prongs is just dirty out there. Like, Jerome's <laughs> intense and he does it clean. Pronger's intense and dirty. Like, I, I didn't realize until you play against him how dirty he really was. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, over the years, the one thing about NHL players, everybody's very intense. Billy Neiman was an intense guy. I remember thinking, like, before the game, I'm like, Marty Jelena was so intense. He would be fired up during the game. Uh, th- yeah, that's, that's an interesting one because there's just, you know, every guy that I played with, Andrew Ference was extremely intense uh, when we were here in Calgary. Yeah, it's uh, that that'd be a long list. But Jerome would be once I liked when they poked the bear because then once Jerome got mad and he was like yelling mm-hmm. at them, like, "Uh oh, oh, this is that just means he's going to play better." Legendary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Billy Neiman and the author of one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard mm. uh during that 04 Cup run, he said, "We have to play hospital hockey." And we're all thinking, "What the <laughs> hell does that mean?" He says, "Lots of patience." <laughs> <laughs> he was a character boy was he ever one of the and, and and when you talk about intense players or you you talk about players you feared there's got to be you know he's got to be on your list of guys that were some, one of the most entertaining people to to work alongside over the years loved it loved it. didn't know what he was saying half the time yeah he was yelling the whole time i'm like <laughs> what is billy even saying i love this <laughs> we didn't have him long but another guy rob regeer was an intense guy too you know the he, he would once he got in the in the zone. I was like, oh, oh, Reggie's Reggie's not happy today, which is a good thing for for the Flames. I love it. Uh, I love it too. Uh, he's the general manager of the Calgary Flames, uh, Craig Conroy. Uh, Connie, thanks for uh, coming on, jumping on uh, this early. Uh, we look forward to talking again real soon when stuff uh, sorts itself out. Thanks for this. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. There he is on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344. Some fun with Connie there. Well, he's always fun. You know, I, it's funny because that, that poker tournament we were in on Thursday at Cowboys was, you know, th- th- there were a lot of, I was sitting at a table with Adam Lowry and uh, Jake Bean. I think there were some alumni there. Blake Coleman wanders in as part of a stag. That was a funny story as well. Mm-hmm. But but who's the focal point of any room? Never mind the fact that he's the GM. Just everybody loves Connie. Yeah. And then now you slap the GM title on him, and now everybody wants two minutes with the guy. And it's amazing watching him work the room. And he does try to accommodate everybody. And he's genuine when he talks to everybody. He, he genuinely would have a 20-minute conversation with every single person who approaches him. But he, he's... He's getting better, and I know with the help of Peter Hanlon and some of the people at the Flames, he's getting better with keeping his answers shorter mm-hmm. because he has to. He's got other things to do. He can't just you know chat with everybody, which is what I know he'd love to do more than anything else. Uh, how fascinating was the Patrick Waugh question you asked him? Well, and how they even contacted his agent, which I thought from a, from a personal like what we do in this business, yeah, just talk show fodder wise, Patrick Law would have been great because he's insane behind the bench occasionally. I had called uh, Patrick's agent uh, and said, "Have have you talked to the?" Fl-? I was checking in on this because mm. I thought, "Boy, I love that." First of all, I love that story about how Connie rung one off his goaltender's oh, yeah. face and goalie lost his mind. But I, I just think that 
you know, I, I agree that he's not maybe the best guy for this situation right now. But but isn't it funny to say that because he was probably the best guy out there, right? I mean, can anyone right. say that there's a better coach out there than Patrick Waugh? Not sure there was, but it, time and a place, and and I'm not. I, I yeah, but even you say situation franchise, yeah. like, but the guy just you know he was the Memorial Cup working with young players, know, yeah. knows how to deal with young players, like, and yeah. he gets that immediate respect. He's you know, in my opinion, the greatest goalie who ever lived. But that's that, that's fine. Like, yeah. but just his intensity you, the behind way. the bench mm-hmm. is just because the guy single handedly won the Stanley Cup for the Habs twice. Yeah, single handedly because of him once as a rookie. Yeah, once as a rookie. Yeah. And again, yeah, those Avalanche teams were so stocked uh, from top to bottom, and I get that. But that 93 team had no business winning a championship. And really, like, you hear guys and you hear all these uh, things, and, and we've, we've talked to players who were on that team saying they just knew in those overtimes they weren't going to score on that guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is just, yeah, we knew they weren't going to score, so it was just a matter of time before he won the game. And, and I have to tell you, as a columnist, I can't wait for Patrick to get back in the league because of that intensity. Oh, yeah. Because of that take no prisoners uh, he's very frank in interviews. He's not going to give you a lot, but what he gives you is, you know, is gold. Yeah. And I, I, I just think those personalities are so good for the league. And I'm not saying the league is devoid of them and needs more of them, but we can always use another guy for with sure. character like Patrick Waugh. So I would have loved to have had it here. Even when I talked to his agent, I remember thinking, I'm, I know this is wishful thinking more than anything else, but mm-hmm. have you, has your client spoken to the Flames yet? And the Flames had been so far down the road on their coaching hire. They, I think it was the weekend that he finished. I, I think it was the weekend he finished winning the Memorial Cup. The, the Flames had already told Huska that he was going to be their head coach, and they were going to announce it on Monday. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was, it was past that point. I think, I, if I have my timelines correct. So uh, that's the franchise. Eric Francis in all week uh, with us from seven to nine. Matty Rose in Italy, but straight ahead. Uh, the Senators and Red Wings pulled off a big deal last night. Hockey trade on a Sunday night, which we love. Ian Mendez, a Senators writer for The Athletic, will join us straight ahead. We'll talk about that deal. And at 8.30, uh, Shai Davidi, Blue Jays columnist, uh, live from Seattle, the site of the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Uh, you haven't watched a baseball game in how long, you said? Uh, I think Jesse Barfield hit okay. a two-run right. home run. George and, uh, Jorge Bell? Yeah. It was always weird when I was a kid Jorge. when George Bell went from George to Jorge Bell at the end of his career. George went in a lot of different directions in a lot of different times. He did. I'll, I'll never forget him telling the fans, us, to kiss his purple ass. Yeah, I, remember I do, that quote? I do remember that as a kid. Yeah. That's about that's one of the last quotes I ever remember reading from a player, actually, in okay. Major League Baseball. But All anyway, right. I'm really looking forward to getting into, into the Jays. The minutiae yeah. of the Blue Jays? The nitty-gritty. Yeah. What do you think they need, a right or left-handed bat more? Wait, save it. Yeah. Save it for Shai Because I've got so many thoughts. Save it for Shai yeah. Uh yeah. It's the big show. Uh, Russick and Rose. No Rose. A franchise. Sportsnet 960. The fan. You're listening to the big show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames. Sportsnet 960. The fan. The big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960. The fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. No Rose. He's in Italy taking some beautiful photos. The handsome man. Is he posting them? Yeah, he is. He's that guy, eh? Yep. He is that, that guy, guy who goes on vacation and posts all his photos? Yes, sir. You know, I was in Ireland a couple weeks ago, and I, I couldn't resist putting a couple golf. courses. I saw that. Some golf porn on, on, the, yeah. on the old Twitter. 
But other than that, I don't want to be that guy. Hey, look at me in front of a pub. Hey, look at me in front of a like holding large holding a cliff. Guinness in front Ooh, of. Oh, I'm holding a Guinness. Yeah, because guess Ireland. where I am. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, so Maddie's uh, still in Italy, uh, having the time of his life. Eric Francison all week from seven to nine. Super excited. Thanks for waking up with us. Oh, I love it. This is my old. Uh, used to do this a little yeah. bit. But we I, didn't, I heard. But we didn't talk about serious issues like we do down here. Oh, it's so serious. Those here. people on the FM dial, it's all frivolity and it's hijinks, it's wackiness. Yeah, tomfoolery. Yeah. Very zany. Oh my. Um, you know it was uh zany, uh hockey trade on a Sunday night in July. That's always fun. Yeah, good segue. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh Alex Debrinket is no longer a member of the Ottawa Senators. Hey, he's going home to Michigan to play for the Red Wings to talk about it. He covers the Senators for The Athletic. We say good morning on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to Ian Mendez. Ian, thanks for this. How are you? Hey, guys, doing great. Thanks uh, Thanks so much for having me. Uh, how much of a blessing and a curse is to get a late-night Sunday night hockey trade <laughs> when you're like, yeah, I, I got content, but it is Sunday night in July? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, I'm, I, if, if I'm right on this, Matthew Chuck was traded on a Friday night in July last year, right? Uh, I recall. So yep. I don't know what's worse. I, I I feel like the Friday night is worse because Sunday night, hmm. you know, oftentimes you're wine. I, I was I was literally I just playing nine holes of golf with with some friends and uh, and on the ninth hole I got a note from uh, you know we have like an internal messaging system and uh, somebody wrote, sent me the Elliot Friedman tweet saying hey heads up this is to me and the Detroit writer Max Boltman and said hey heads up looks like uh, you guys need to start you know getting into action I thought, are you kidding me on a Sunday night so. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's not great, but yeah, it, it certainly brought back, I'm sure, flashback to that Kachuk trade that just kind of, you know, finally materialized on a, on a Friday night in July. Okay, so the trade's finally consummated. It's been long awaited. We're in a similar situation here in Calgary where everyone's just kind of waiting for one or two obvious trades to happen, when they happen, and who they're traded for is all the intrigue. Is this a blessing or a curse that DeBrinket is now finally no longer an Ottawa senator? I think, you know, what's weird is that it, it's kind of maybe a little bit of both. I know that might be a little bit of a cop-out answer, but, but really it's no different. And, and I think your listeners in Calgary would really sympathize with this situation that Ottawa's in with the Brinkett, right? Because it's similar to what you dealt with in the past with Goudreau and Kachuk. It's very similar to what you're dealing with with Elias Lindholm, uh, you know, Noah Hannafin. Where, like, you got these guys, and they're one year away from being a UFA and you're just you're you're on the fence, and when it's obvious that the guy isn't going to resign, or at least not commit to resigning now, I think you you need to do what's best for the organization and and make the trade, right? You can't have the Johnny Gaudreau situation where you play this kind of cat and mouse game, and you know will he sign, won't he sign, and then you get past the deadline, and then you've lost all your leverage. So, I think from that perspective, it's a blessing. But what happens in these is situations is the, the return becomes somewhat diluted, right? Because the Brinkett held most of the cards here, even though he's an RFA, he held most of the cards. And really, I think it became quite evident that this young man just wanted to go home. He, he grew up in Michigan, uh, was a Detroit fan growing up as a kid. I think he could see the finish line to next year and see that he had the opportunity to handpick his destination. I think that's where he wanted to go. And so you're painted into a bit of a corner. Uh, and sometimes you you can pull out a rabbit of your ha- out of your hat. I, I think Brad Living last year, 
you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But, you know, getting Mackenzie Weger and Jonathan Huberto, that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You, you know, say what you want about how it all played out in the extension and the, the all that. But at the time, I think we all thought, okay, that was a pretty good return on the circumstances. When you're painted into a corner, which I think, you know, Pierre Dorian was kind of painted into a corner, he did the best that he could. And so the return was somewhat underwhelming. Uh, Ian, we know, obviously, you, you just talked about it. Two American-born players wanting to go play back in the United States. Uh, we felt it here in Calgary. You just experienced it in Ottawa with Alex Dabrinkit wanting to go play in the United States. But isn't, like, Brady Kachuk the, the answer to everybody else? A kid born in St. Louis signed a long-term deal to stay with the Ottawa Senators. Isn't he the example of, well, actually, this can happen in Canada? Yeah, no, absolutely, right? And, I mean, I, I guess Austin Matthews will be the ultimate litmus test here, right? Because it's... Uh a generational superstar talent in the biggest market. And now we're going to see, does, does he want to go somewhere else? Does he want to stay? But, but I think Ottawa's got some good examples. Uh, you know, Josh Norris is uh, an American kid. He signed up for a seven-year uh, extension in Ottawa. Uh, Brady Kachuk, same thing, uh, long-term extension uh, in Ottawa. They're very hopeful that Jake Sanderson, another kid, and Jake kind of grew up in Calgary, but you know, for the most part, he's played for the American uh, team at the World Juniors. He's kind of spent most of his time in Montana. He's likely going to sign a long-term extension, or at least we think he's going to here. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's a tricky one because I think you can certainly look at the history of it and say, like, wow, like American guys don't like don't like playing in Canada or don't like playing in these markets, and and you know, look, go to go to Winnipeg, right? Connor Hellebuck looks like he's 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 on his way out too, and and. But you're right. Brady Kachuk is the exact opposite argument of that. Like, here's a guy that we all thought when Kachuk, his entry level was up, we thought he was going to do the Matthew Kachuk, which is give me the three-year bridge with the one-year RFA leverage and see you later. And that didn't happen. And so, yeah, I think it, it all depends on the player and if he feels comfortable and if he feels like this is the, the right fit. And just for whatever reason, Alex, it didn't quite fit for him. And I think, like I said, I think he saw the finish line. And I think he thought, okay, like, why not just wait this out and, and end up going to where I really want to go? You know, I had a long conversation uh, with Walt uh, Kachuk, Keith Kachuk, you know, uh, and, and he too was shocked to some degree that his younger son <laughs> signed long-term in Ottawa. I mean, the whole hockey world was. But he said, my son is just so entrenched in the Ottawa organization and so believes that this organization is bound for glory, and he wants to be part of it. And that's pretty admirable, and that's why they made him a captain, because he's such a believer. But uh, he, he said that he's, he's all about MOGA, make Ottawa great again. And that's, <laughs> that's, his, that's his whole mantra. But let me ask you this about <clears throat> the situation with Debrinket is all about a guy who doesn't want to be in a Canadian market. We're dealing with that, as you alluded to, in a similar situation in Calgary. Has that been a longstanding conversation in Ottawa that it's really, really hard to get players to come there and stay there? Yes, and I think we deal with it in this market the same way you do in in Calgary, the same way they do in Winnipeg, where you you can draw the line back far enough and almost every popular player that's ever played for your franchise uh, it's, I mean, uh, Jerome was the exception, right? Like at the very end, it was like, you know, he played all of his career there. He could have gone earlier, but he didn't, right? And he stayed And That was kind of like Alfredson in Ottawa. But go through it, right? Like the Newendikes and the McKinnises and whoever you want to go through in the history of, of the Flames franchise, same with Ottawa. Like Danny Heatley and Alexi Yashin and Jason Spezza and, and, you know, Eric Carlson and all these great players 
that played, they didn't, they didn't stay. And, and sometimes I think in, in small Canadian markets, you, you end up taking it very personally, right? Because you know how great it is to live in Calgary. I know how great it is to live in Ottawa. And when somebody comes to your city and doesn't feel the same way, you take it personally. It, there, there's, a, there's a sense of ownership of your community. And so I, I think for sure in Ottawa, the, the Brinkett, you know, departure brings up some of those old wounds from Stone, Carlson, Heatley, what, like, again, however far back you want to trace it. The difference is, I think, Ottawa fans should understand that, well, hang on here. Timmy Stutzler signed up for eight years here. Brady Kachuk signed up, like we said, for, for seven years. Josh Norris for seven years. Like, Thomas Shabbat. Like, there is a difference here. Like, the, the core is locked into place. Alex DeBrinkett had a one-year test run in Ottawa and it didn't work out. But maybe if, if he was on a three-year contract or he had a little bit more time to get his, himself and his family acclimated here, maybe he would have fallen in love. But it's, it's tough to fall in love with a place after uh, you know, eight months and you don't make the playoffs and you don't hit the 30-goal mark. It just, everything didn't quite click for you. But I, but I do think Ottawa fans at least should, shouldn't feel like here we go again with star players wanting out because – so many of them have signed up here, like you said, with, with Brady Kachuk leading the way. Yeah, that, that's well put. And the reason I asked the question about it, has that been a conversation for a long time? And all those names you cited are obvious examples. Because it's pretty a new conversation here in Calgary. I have to say, like you you mentioned Newendike, you mentioned McInnes. I could add Flurry in there. But I, I'm going to tell you that that was, in, that, was, that was a different time. Those were all because of money. And we were in a small market and couldn't afford those guys in this city. That didn't have anything to do with them not wanting to be in Calgary anymore. So there, there's a distinct difference. And now, but now Calgary's in that situation where over the last two years we've seen repeated cases where it's clear an American player, generally speaking, does not want to stay here. Let me ask you about Debrinket. I don't want to say he was bad because 28 goals is not bad, but why wasn't he able to live up to the expectations last year compared to the year before when he was lighting it up? with a Patrick Kane. Yeah. And, and I think if you look at it, at, at people are like, you know, say the break, it's a two time 40 goal score. You know, technically if you take his numbers from that COVID shortened 56 game campaign, I think he was scoring at about a 47 goal clip. Like he's basically a three time 40 goal scorer, and he was 25 years old. And so when those guys don't grow on trees. So I, I think when, when you get a player like that, that's the expectation. The expectation wasn't 25 or 30 goals. The expectation was 35 or 40 goals or maybe oh, even yeah. 45 goals. So when you get 27 goals for a lot of guys, that would be a career year. A lot of guys would take that 27 goals and say, Hey, uh, you know, give me, give me a, a big contract for Alex. It was a bit of a step back. And I think it, it was like kind of a square peg round hole or whatever, like the puzzle piece didn't quite fit. And the best analogy or the best example I could give, is when the season started last year, Alex DeBrinkett wasn't on Ottawa's first unit power play. And if you think about that for a hmm. second, here's a guy, like I said, essentially <laughs> a three-time 40-goal scorer. And now the second unit in Ottawa was pretty good. Like Claude Giroux was on it, and Jake Sanderson was on it. So it wasn't like he was playing with just simply replacement-level players. But it, what, it, it just didn't feel like they just said, hey, you're the man. We're putting you on the first unit power play. Uh, you know, we're going to feed you the puck. He just he didn't find the chemistry like that he had with, with Patrick Kane and, and I think at times with Dylan Strom in Chicago. He didn't have that. Josh Norris got hurt right away last season, so he didn't have a chance to play with, with, with a kind of an experienced centerman, and uh, he didn't play a ton with Tim Stutz. So I just, it just didn't fit, and I think when you don't have natural chemistry right off the hop, 
with somebody like we always think like in Ottawa, like Danny Heatley came in and like, like you could snap your finger and like him and Jason Spezza fit together. Like it was just so seamless. It was magic. And I think a lot of people thought, well, that was going to be the brinket. He's going to kind of come in with the same reputation, be a goal scorer. He just couldn't find the chemistry with anybody. And, and again, 27 goals isn't terrible. 66 points isn't terrible, but it's not the level and the standard in which I think uh, he expected or anybody expected him to perform at last season. Ian Mendez covers the Senators for the Athletic, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose with Francis. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Um, what's what's the Flames? What's the Flames fans uh, take on the return that they got for Alex to bring it? Do they like it? Are they pleased? Is it maybe a little underwhelming? Uh, your thoughts on the return? Yeah, it, it, like I, I don't think you can look at this and say it's a, like what I wrote in my column. Say, look, this is not a home run, but it's not a complete swing and a miss. It's it's something in between. I, I said it's like a ground rule double and. <laughs> and uh, and Pierre Dorian, st- he's still at the plate because uh, you know he lost. He me. got a little I don't bit. Know of- baseball. I know. I was totally yeah, going to say something gonna like that. Yeah, <laughs> terrible, terrible baseball reference. I shouldn't have. Uh, no, 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 no Aaron good. just doesn't watch baseball, uh, which I don't, is I don't fine. Like baseball. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, my my point is like it, I think we got to wait a little bit because like what if this week they can find a way to fit in Vlad Tarasenko or Thomas Tatar, or Travis Konechny, or, you know, Scott Lawton. Or, you, know, you can do something. you got a little bit of flexibility. Not a time, but you got a little bit more flexibility now that you don't have to bring it potentially on the books for, you know, seven and a half or nine million next season. So, like, from that perspective, I'm willing to wait. But the actual return, I think this is what hurts from my vantage point for Ottawa is this. Last year, they gave up this seventh overall pick to Chicago to get him. Uh, and they also gave up a second and a third round pick. But, they, you know, obviously the key thing was the first pick, top 10 overall. They give that up. And now in the return, sure, they, they do land a first rounder from Detroit. But there's a massive caveat to that. And that is Detroit's got two first round picks next year. One is their own. The other is from Boston from the, via the Tyler Bertuzzi trade. Detroit has the right to give Ottawa the worst of the two picks. And so let's be honest here, in all likelihood, that's going to be Boston's pick, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't think Boston's going to obviously play at a 65-win level, but I do expect them to probably make the playoffs and probably be a 95- to 105-point team or whatever it is. So you would look at that and say, okay, in all likelihood, that pick is going to fall somewhere between 20 and 32. So you've taken a seventh overall pick and kind of downgraded it down – 15, 20 spots, whatever. That's the part of it that's going to hurt for Ottawa because, you know, they traded their first-round pick this year for Jacob Chikrin. They traded, traded their first-round pick last year for Alex Dabrinkit. And when you do that, and both of you know this, when you trade first-round picks, usually you're a Stanley Cup contender, right? Like that's what, that's what the Tampas and the Torontos of the world do. They just trade their first-round picks knowing, hey, we're in win-now mode. When you trade multiple – like the only other team I could think of in the salary cap era, and I'm sure your listeners or you guys might have other examples, but where you trade, where you don't pick in the first round for consecutive years, and you don't make the playoffs. Think of that Toronto team under Brian Burke that they traded for Phil Castle, uh, you know, in around whatever that was, 20, 2009, 10, and they gave up Sagan and they gave up Dougie Hamilton and they didn't make the playoffs. Like that's kind of, unfortunately for Ottawa, that's where you're at. When, when you trade first round picks, boy, you better be making the playoffs. And when you miss it in six straight years, it, it 
it kind of hurts. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, frustration, I'm sure, in that city. But boy, it's you remind me that you got Chikrin now, you got Shabbat, you get yep. like people around the National Hockey League. I I lump. It's funny that these two teams just made this trade because I lump Ottawa and Detroit in the same category as man. I want to watch their games this year. I can't wait to see what they're capable of. And, you know, they're both on the cusp to me of becoming perennial uh, playoff teams. Is that I, I'm assuming. That's the way people in Ottawa look at it, or is there significant frustration that that didn't happen last year in Ottawa? Yeah, there was absolutely there was some frustration, right? Because you you added the Brinkett, you added Giroux, you traded for Cam Talbot. It was it was kind of like you went into win now mode and you fell just short. And and I and I agree with you that I think Ottawa and Detroit are in the same boat. But here's the here's the catch in all of this. So is Buffalo. And yeah, for I, sure. If you, if you had to look at those three teams super objectively, I think Buffalo is just a little bit ahead of the other two. Um, you know, how to bring it, how that changes the power dynamics, I guess we'll, we'll see in the fall. But what I find fascinating is that Ottawa, Buffalo, Detroit are all on the same trajectory in their kind of the, the, the rebuild curve, and they're all knocking on the playoff door. And all of them, I think, certainly come in. Like, Detroit doesn't trade for Debrinket and sign, uh, you know, Comfort and do all these things unless they feel that their program has, you know, kind of matured in the next phase, which is let's make the playoffs. Buffalo is absolutely because they missed by a hair. They're knocking on the door. So there's three teams. And then let's not forget about the Pittsburgh Penguins who missed the playoffs and clearly are in win now mode mm-hmm. with, with a new general manager. So that's four teams that missed the playoffs, not to mention Washington, but that's four teams that missed yeah. the playoffs last year that have playoff aspirations. You, you tell me, I, like are four teams that made the playoffs in the East last year falling out? I, I mean, I don't think so. Like maybe the Islanders, but I don't know. I don't know who's vulnerable. So it's going to be a really compelling race uh, amongst those four teams to see who can potentially push themselves into the postseason. Uh, Ian, I know uh, ownership was the big uh, topic in Ottawa for you guys. Now, where where is a new arena fit in in all of this as you know i'm sure you're well aware we're all waiting for the shovels to hit the ground here in calgary for a new barn uh how close are you guys to a new arena in ottawa and more specifically downtown ottawa i feel like we're kindred spirits here ottawa and calgary american (laughs) players wanting to leave arena uh arena dysfunction uh so it's it's really interesting you know when ottawa was up for sale there was like four or five groups interested in buying the team. And I would say that the eventual winner of that, of that race, Michael Andlauer was the one who was like the least interested in the real estate aspect of it. So I almost think in a weird way, we've kind of pressed pause on the arena talk and it just doesn't feel like there's anything imminent there. Um, They do have a, a, a kind of general agreement in principle for a parcel of land that is uh, just out, just a, a touch out of downtown. It's kind of still in downtown, but it's, it's called Le Breton Flats, and they have that parcel of land secured. But my guess is from, from a lot of the talk here is that they want to even move closer to downtown. So if people in Calgary can kind of visualize Parliament Hill and like kind of that being the, 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 the epicenter of downtown Ottawa, there is a spot that's like 400 meters from that, 500 meters, uh, next, close to the Westin Hotel, close to the uh, convention center here, uh, that they feel like there's an opportunity to potentially – have the footprint for a, uh, an arena there. So I think there's going to be a lot of talk, a lot of saber rattling, and, and boy, does your market know all that all too well. And there's going to be uh, politics. There's going to be all sorts of things. I think eventually 
there's going to be a new rink here. It just might take a little bit longer than, than everybody wants, but it does feel like very slowly we're, mm. we're headed in the right direction here. Uh, Ian Mendez covers the Senators for The Athletic. Uh, Ian, uh, terrific stuff. Uh, maybe you'll get uh, some more news uh, later on in the week, potentially. I don't know. A nice late night, another deal, yeah, another okay. situation, because that's what Eric Francis is waiting on here with potentially names like Noah Hannafin, and Elias Lindholm, we could definitely see that here for the yeah, franchise. Those are Friday night specials for Friday sure. night specials. That's uh, where they always seem to land. Friday night news dump. That's great. That's the CFL <laughs> synonymous. That for. is a yes. That's it a is. CFL move. Friday yes. late Friday afternoon. And by the way, I still whenever I think of Ottawa and I think of CFL, when I was living there going to university, that's several, several decades ago, Lonnie Gleberman drafted a dead player. Yes, I can. I can never think of all those things together without mentioning the, the, how terrible that situation was. Ownership's a lot better now in Ottawa with their CFL yeah. franchise. I know that. I I don't know what they're called anymore. Yeah, but uh, Red Blacks all capitals. Yeah, I knew that actually. You I, did know I just, that. I, I, I wish they were still the Rough Riders. It was so easy then, right? Everyone was a Rough Rider. So, <laughs> but anyway. Right. Anyway, I, all right. Enough, Ian, thanks, my friend. Enough disparaging on the CFL. Thanks, yeah. pal. I love the CFL. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a ton for having me, guys. Uh, there he is in the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Guest Holland brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344. We had Craig Conroy on at uh, 7 o'clock. Uh, I touched on the goalie conversation. I want to have that with you next. Sure. I want to ask you about the goalie conversation. And I know you're super jacked up about this. Shai Davidi from the Major League Baseball game, Major League All-Star uh, site, Seattle. He's going to join us at 830. Yes! It's All Star Weekend too, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, home run derby tonight. Someone told me that on yeah. Sportsnet. I love it. Oh man, give me some of that. Mm. I, I I know you like the odd game of chance. Yeah, I'll I'll put twenty bucks on Conseco. Okay, all right, okay. Uh, Eric Francis in studio all week. It's the big show. Russ and Rose Sportsnet nine sixty. The fan.